for the next three weeks, we're going to be exploring what it means to forgive. And we're going to be looking at it uh, from Scripture and also from the standpoint of a, of a series of sketches about a couple uh, this morning didn't actually say anything, but Tommy, who's going to be part of our group, and his wife Karen, and some other folks are going to play a role in that over the next uh, three weeks to help us to define this whole thing of forgiveness. Now this morning I thought we'd start off by reading the Christmas story, and your bulletin is, uh, is your outline, so go ahead and take that out, and uh, we're going to look at that real quick. Okay, John 1, verse 14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You're going like, hold it. That's not the Christmas story. The Christmas story is in Matthew and in Luke, where it talks about a baby Jesus and a bunch of shepherds and wise men and a manger and all that kind of stuff, right? And that the Christmas story? Well, John describes the Christmas story in a different way. He talks about it as being God, Emmanuel, coming and living among us. And this, this year at Christmas, we're going to talk about that part of the story. Because I want to tell you, while it's important that we understand the Christmas story and all the stuff that goes along with us about the, you know, you know who was first, the wise men or the shepherds, and who was second, and, and all that kind of stuff, the story that we see always de- de- uh, depicted in, a, in the wrong way. Some, you know, always the wise men and the shepherds are the same place, never in Scripture, but, you know, but there, but... You can look at Scripture and define that yourselves. But the issue is, is that that, while that's an important part of the Christmas story and the the baby Jesus is an important part of the Christmas story, the real part of the Christmas story, the part that really means something more for you and for me than anything else is what John says. The Word came and dwelt among us. God came and dwelt among us and He was flesh. And And the reason He did that is the reason we celebrate Christmas. Because the fact is this, at Christmas, God gave us what we deserve the least, but needed the most, forgiveness. At Christmas, God gave us what we deserve the least, but needed the most, forgiveness. You and I need forgiveness because we live in a world where we are connected with people that we need forgiveness with. Let me do a survey this morning. There's a thing called the crazy factor that I heard about, read about. Uh, The crazy factor is this. The factor is that it seems to be in every family in the world, there tends to be at least one person in your family who just makes you crazy. And usually for some reason, because at Christmas we get together, that causes us to all be kind of crazy. And so during the Christmas season, we all have to deal with a crazy factor, the fact that there's somebody in our family that just drives us crazy for whatever reason. Now, if you have, I'm going to do a, just, I want to do a brief survey this morning to see if the crazy factor is real or not. So what I want you to do, if you have somebody in your extended family that drives you crazy, raise your hand. I got my hand raised. Okay, so keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Now look around. Now if you're looking around, for those people who got their hands up, keep your hands up. Okay, for those people, look around, look at the people that don't have their hands up. They're the people that are the crazy people in their family. <laughs> See, you just don't know about the crazy factor because when you're it, you don't recognize it. Right? That has nothing to do with the message this morning. I thought I'd just do that for fun. Okay, 
What we want to talk about, though, is this whole thing of forgiveness. Over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack some things that are important for us to know about forgiveness. Now, this morning, for those of you who like to take notes, I'm going to drive you absolutely crazy. I'm going to zip through scriptures like crazy. I'm going to talk about points that aren't on your outline because I didn't put any points on your outline. So if those of you who want to take notes, I encourage you, you write the main points. There's five of them. And just write down the references for the scripture and go back later and look them up. Okay? That's all you'll be able to do unless you're in the most incredibly quick speed writer in the whole world. Okay? This morning I'm laying the foundation for the three weeks we're going to talk about. Now, I love the verse in Psalm 130 that says this, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. Isn't that a great verse? I mean, who among us, who among us, if God kept a record of our sins, could survive? I mean, we'd last about 10 seconds. Because we'd think some kind of thought that would be a sin, and then we would be, you know, we'd be messed up for life. Literally. Billy Graham's daughter, Ruth, uh, wrote about the pain of trying to define forgiveness after her husband confessed infidelity. Friends and family counseled her to, uh, to def- forgive him, but she wondered, what did forgiveness look like? Uh, what does it really mean? What was, it, what was forgiveness? She said, I didn't really know because all these Christian people, all these people around me kept defining it in different ways. Everyone seemed to have a different definition of forgiveness. The goal, of course, and we want to look at this this morning, and that's why it's going to take, we're going to zip through some scripture real quick. The goal this morning is is to make sure that a definition of forgiveness that we talk about for the next three weeks squares with biblical teaching. Because we believe here at Great Oaks that the Bible is the basis for everything we do in life. It's God's word to us. It's God's word revealed to us in the form of this book here. Now, God expects, this is, this is one point, though, that we have to understand. It's clear in Scripture, I believe, is God expects believers to forgive others in the way that he forgave us. Uh, one of my favorite Scriptures that's so crystal clear is in Matthew 6. It says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you, forgive, if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. It could have been even clear. It's God uses, uh, he wants us to have the same standards of forgiveness toward others that he has towards us, vice versa. We should define forgiveness between ourselves and other people the way God defined it in forgiving us. You see, God's forgiveness for Christians is the model he expects. It's the model he expects Christians to live out. Now, we find these principles about forgiveness stated more than once in Scripture. Uh, Jesus included this point in the Lord's Prayer. And the key word in all of these is the word as. For instance, in Matthew 6 in the Lord's Prayer, it says, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, Paul talks about this in a couple of passages where he says in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as... God in Christ forgave you. In Colossians 3.13, he says, Forgiving each other, uh, or bearing, uh, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you so, you, all, so you also must forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Colossians 3.13. See, the first thing to do in developing an understanding of forgiveness or about how we should forgive other people, which we're going to talk about for the next two weeks, it's going to be devoted to spending about how do we forgive other people? How do we deal with that issue? And that's probably what you want to move more than anything else. But before you understand that, you must first understand how God forgives us. 
Because that is the standard, that's the gold standard that God wants us to use in regard to our relationship with others. And unless you understand, don't understand that, you cannot understand how to forgive others. So we're going to lay the foundation this morning. And hopefully when you leave here, you'll have some, if you don't already understand it, that you'll have a clear understanding of what God's forgiveness means for you and for me. Now, of course, I can't give you everything. Uh, I mean, I have spent hours and hours and hours and hours in the last couple of weeks studying this, this whole topic of forgiveness. And there's tons of scripture, tons of things to talk about. But let's just narrow it down to four or five things this morning. How does God forgive? Well, let me give you a brief background. We all know we have all needed God's forgiveness because the the Bible says that all of us have offended God. All of us. The Bible tells us that God placed our ancestors, Adam and Eve, in a perfect creation, a place called the garden. In a perfect place where there was no sin, there was no rebellion, there was no need for forgiveness in that place. But Adam and Eve were God's special representatives, and they were given the responsibility of, uh, of looking over what God had created. But sadly, Adam and Eve rebelled against God, ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and when they did, they destroyed their relationship with God, both for themselves and for all of humanity. You're saying, that's not fair. Guess what? You and I would have done the same thing. They just happen to be the first ones to do it. Now all of us are born sinners. All of us have this propensity to choose sin, our own way in life, because of that. And it gets worse. The Bible teaches that there is a penalty for sin. And the penalty for sin must be paid. And the penalty for sin is eternal separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. We don't like to use that word, but it's, it's a reality in Scripture. It tells us that. Now, it sounds, it's, it sounds blunt to say that, but that's the truth of the Word of God. Now, most of us tend to compare ourselves most of the time, though, to other people. And because of that, comparing by that standard, we may not seem so bad at all. But we are not accountable to measure up to other people. We answer to a perfectly holy and just God. And all of us have offended His standard in a way that we can never hope to repair through our own goodness. So how God forgives becomes the most important truth that any human being uh, could ever consider. Now here's a summary this morning. Let me give you a summary, five points. Five things the Bible says about what God's forgiveness is like to help us to understand. And I'm going to give you some main points and some scripture, and I'm just going to run through these real quickly this morning to lay some foundation, and we're going to flesh out some of these things more along the way. The first point is this. The Bible tells us that God's forgiveness is a gracious gift, but it's not free. Now, you're going like, but I thought it was a free gift. Let me explain what that means. I've had discussions with people from time to time about this whole thing of forgiveness. That tends to be the one thing that probably comes up more in counseling than anything else. Could God forgive me? And we'll talk about the whole thing of forgiveness, and sometimes I'll turn it around, and I'll ask them this question. I'll ask people this question to see how they understand forgiveness. I'll ask them to evaluate me. I'll say things like, well, what do you think um, if I, Pastor Bill, got run over by a truck this afternoon, do you think I'd go to heaven, live with God for all of eternity? Uh, And I have never had anybody come back to me and say no. They all say, oh, by all means, you're in. There's no question about it. Then I'll ask them the question, why? Why do you say that? Why do you say that? And I say, you know, let me tell you something about myself. My, my wife and my kids will tell you that I'm a sinner. They know me. 
And my wife and my kids know that I'm not perfect. So why would you say that God will forgive me? Well, then they'll say something like this. They'll say, well, you're the pastor. And I mean, if you're not going to get to heaven, then we're all in trouble. When they say that, I know immediately that they have a misunderstanding of what it means that Bible, the Bible talks about, about forgiveness. You see, if a person answers like that, they under, misunderstand the basis for biblical forgiveness. The Bible teaches us clearly that we are forgiven only by one thing. It's called grace. God's unmerited, undeserved favor. I mean, salvation rests entirely on that. Forgiveness is a gift. It, forgiveness is a gift. It's, it's a gift like under one of this tree. You know that all of you have a gift under God's tree? You all have a gift, and that gift is sitting there for you. God offers it to you freely. He offers it to you. But the only way, the only reason you can have that gift is because God has paid the price, the penalty for that gift. You and I cannot do anything to earn that gift. It says in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one could boast. You see, I could be a pastor for a million years. And it could get me no closer to being forgiven by God just by being a pastor. I am forgiven only by the fact that God wants to give me a gift, an undeserved, unmerited gift called grace, forgiveness. And in doing so, he does something for me that I don't deserve, but I need the most. He gives me forgiveness. He offers to me forgiveness. Now, did God offer me this gift because he saw some small seed of goodness in me? No. The Bible says that forgiveness is a gift motivated by God's love. Uh, it says in Ephesians 2, 4, But God, being rich in mercy, and this describes how he is, because of the great love with which he loved us, he gave us this gift. Not because we deserve it, not because we have the seed of goodness in us, but because God chose, in spite of who we are, to give us the gift. It's motivated by love. Now, understand this, that although salvation is offered to us as a gift, it's free to us. God offers it to us without any strings attached. But we do, well, there is some things that we have to respond to. God bought that gift at an infinitely high price. This gift is a gracious gift, but it's not free. It's, not, it's free to us, but it's not free. The price had to be paid for the gift. Somebody has to buy the gift, and Christ paid for the gift. God paid for the gift through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible tells you and me. First John 4.10 says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That word atoning sacrifice means the turning away of wrath by an offering. It means that we, we, get what, we don't get what we deserve. It means that God has given a, a, an offering. To God, uh, he's made, paid the penalty. It turns away the wrath of God. It means God, God's a holy and just God. He, he, he wants to make everything right. And so what he does, he offered his son. Forgiveness is not free. Christ suffered in our place. Now, if you want to remember this whole thing of what grace is, I always remember an acrostic. So put up the acrostic up on the screen. The acrostic is this. It's the grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. 
God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what the forgiveness means. It, it means that God gave us what we, what we needed, forgiveness, a relationship with God. But it was at Christ's expense. You see, motivated by love, God, God offers forgiveness gracious, graciously. God wraps the present of forgiveness and gives it to anyone who will accept the gift. That's what the Scripture says. But the gift was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Point number two. While God offers forgiveness to everyone, only those who repent and believe receive it. You see, like any present, uh, it needs to be unwrapped. It'll be strange Christmas morning if after Christmas morning you have gifts under the tree unwrapped. Is that right? It'll be really strange. I mean, especially if the people that, uh, that have their names on the gift... If they're there at the house and they're kids. You know, it'll be really strange to not have the gift. You don't give a gift and expect it to stay unwrapped. God, we offer our children gifts. We offer our friends gifts. But we expect eventually for them to receive the gift, to unwrap the gift, and to use the gift. In a real sense, that what God, what God is saying to us. While God offers the gift of forgiveness to us, this unmerited, undeserved gift... To everyone, he offers it to everyone, only those who repent and believe receive it. We receive the gift of forgiveness by turning to faith in Christ. And there are two aspects, the Bible says, of turning to faith in Christ. First, we turn away from trusting in ourselves and from the idea that our own goodness would be good enough to be the basis for having a relationship with God who is holy and perfect. We turn away from our sin. The Bible calls this turning away the big word repentance. We must repent, and that's a, bi- that's a basic definition of that. Secondly, the second aspect is turning to Christ, and, and that we turn to Christ and trust in him alone for our salvation. We realize that we can't do it alone, that God needs to give us something we don't have, and we trust in God for that. And the Bible calls this faith or believing. See, there is an aspect of opening the gift. While it's offered to us as a free gift, to really, to really use the gift, to have the gift mean something to us, we must open the gift. And to open the gift, we must first of all repent, turn away from our idea that we're good, to, we're good enough to be, uh, have a relationship with God and to turn to Christ and trust in him alone for our salvation. Paul summarized this in, a, in, in his ministry this way. He says this in Acts twenty twenty one. I have declared to both the Jews and the Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance. And have faith in our Lord Jesus. See, God's forgiveness is a package that he wraps up and offers. But that package of forgiveness must be opened. The Bible teaches that the way that the package is opened is through repentance and faith. That's point number two. God offers forgiveness to everyone. But only those who repent and believe receive it. Those who open the gift receive it. Point number three. The Bible says this. God's forgiveness is a commitment. God's forgiveness is a commitment. Now, you may never heard this one before, but as I was looking through Scripture and reading uh, different things, I began to realize how important this is. And I'm not going to put specific Scriptures here, but there's tons of them that talk about this that keep the previous points in mind. First, God offers us the gift of forgiveness graciously. It's motivated by love. It's an expensive present for it is purchased with a price. Second, God offers forgiveness to everyone, only those who turn away from trusting themselves with repentance and turn to Christ through faith are saved. But the next thing we need to understand is this. When we see, we need to see God's forgiveness in a sense that it is a commitment by God to those he forgives. 
the most common word. Now, in Scripture, uh, Scripture was not originally written in English, right? Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek, Aramaic. When we see that, when we see the Old Testament and the New Testament, in the New Testament where there's the word forgiveness translated, there's sometimes a few different words that in Greek uh, are translated forgiveness. But the word that's most commonly translated forgiveness in the Bible has this definition. It means to release from legal or moral obligation or consequence. To release from legal or moral obligation or consequence. That is the word forgiveness that's translated most often in Scripture. You see, when God forgives, he commits or he promises that he will no longer hold the sin against the person being forgiven. Boy, is that good news. I mean, that is incredible. I don't know about you, but that's incredible. He no longer holds. It's like he's blotted it out. You've heard that before. But that's literally what the word forgiveness means. See, if we put our faith and trust in Christ, the Bible uses a term that we call, and I'm using a lot of theological terms this morning, but I want to define them because they're important. He uses the term justified. It says that in Romans 3.28 and in Romans 5.1, it says that we're declared to be made right with God. And he does that. God makes a legal declaration that we are no longer condemned for our sin. He makes a commitment to you and to me, that when we open the gift through repentance and faith, he says, your sin is no longer on the record. It is blotted out. Now keep in mind, we're going to talk about these things in relation to how we forgive others, okay? Because this is the basis for forgiveness with other people. See, if we put our faith and trust in Christ... Uh, there's an old gospel hymn. Uh, any of you grow up in tra- traditional churches that sang old gospel hymns? You remember a, a, a hymn called To God Be the Glory? Okay? There was a line in there that kind of defi- defines that. Now, it's, it's kind of in, in Eng- old English, and we don't usually use some of these terms, but it says this, The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. It's a description of this thing. It says, when we, in a sense, commit ourselves to God, when we say yes and open the gift, God commits to pardoning us from the vilest offense that we could possibly have. It's a commitment from God. Forgiveness is a commitment. Number four, forgiveness lays the groundwork for and begins the process of reconciliation. We need to understand something. Forgiveness does not simply mean the elimination of guilt. That's not what it means alone. It means partially that, but it also means that when God forgives us, it also means we begin a new relationship with him. It lays the groundwork for, and it opens the door to and begins the process of reconciliation. That's really ultimately what God wants to do through building a relationship with us. It's not just so we can get to heaven. He wants us to have a relationship with him. That affects every decision we make in life, and that's what being a Christian means. And it doesn't mean, oh, I got my ticket to heaven. You know, that's just a byproduct. God wants us to be reconciled, be made right with Him. One writer put it this way He said, People are mistaken if they think of Christian forgiveness primarily as absolute, absolution from guilt. The purpose of forgiveness is the restoration of communion, the reconciliation of brokenness. Now, we see this throughout the gospel, but one point, next week we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. It's going to be our key passage. It's out of, uh, but I just want to mention it this week. It mentions this whole thing of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, Therefore, 
If anyone is in Christ, I mean you accepted, you've opened the gift. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now we're going to look at that. We're going to tear that verse apart next week. Because it says so much to us about what we're to be doing in our relationship with others. But it starts with understanding our relationship with God. You see, you cannot be forgiven by God without being reconciled to him. Point number five. I told you it was going through fast. Forgiveness does not mean the elimination of all consequences. I thought, you know, just kind of wipes out. Didn't God say he, does, he pardons everything? Yeah. But there's some issues here we have to deal with. You know, there's some verses that, that say that, you know, we're pardoned again. You know, here's several verses. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're saved. If you believe, you're saved. Acts 16, 31. As far as the east is from the west, so far, so far does God remove the transgression of his children from them. Psalm 103. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8, 1. We know all those verses, and those are all true. Nevertheless, these truths do not teach that those forgiven by God face no consequences for our sin, for our lack of uh, relationship, for our lack of, uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, not responding to God in the right way. On the contrary, this side of heaven, we will continue to work through the consequences of our rebellion to God and our discord with other people. You know, one of the most famous uh, passages in all of Scripture that deals with this and shows it so vividly is in the Old Testament, story of David. In the story of David, and uh, in, in his adultery with a lady named Bathsheba, and his subsequent attempts to cover up through the sin and deceit and murder, uh, we see that story, and if you want to read the story, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and chapter 13. It says this, though, when God uh, used the prophet Nathan to connect and to confront David, the king realized, King David realized the magnitude of his sin, and the Bible says clearly, without a doubt, clearly, that King David was truly repentant, sorry for wanted to turn around his life because of the sin in his life. He was truly repentant. And Nathan told David that God would forgive him for his sin. Clearly, no doubt. But God says there will still be consequences and severe ones at that. Nathan told David that there would be violence among his family and that the baby that Bathsheba and that he had conceived would die. And even after the death of the baby... There was still all kind of violence as you read chapter 13 of 2 Samuel. All kinds of violence in the family of David. I mean, one son, Amnon, raped David's daughter, Tamar. Another son, Absalom, killed Amnon. And you just go through the whole story. It's just a, it's a tragedy. But it says that David was repentant and God forgave him. 
See, the reality of consequences raises the question, if God truly forgives, if he no longer holds the sin against you and me, uh, against, the, against the forgiven, then why are there still consequences? The answer to that is that God disciplines his own, not for the purpose of punishing, but for the purpose of training and teaching and helping us to be who he wants us to be. God's more concerned with our, I've said this before, our character than our comfort. He wants us to grow up, and we, we grow up through, you know, if, if every time we just simply say, I'm sorry, and then the consequences were wiped away, do we, would we learn anything? Let's be honest. No. No. We just go, oh, I'll do just, just, just pull out the forgiveness pill. You know, let's take one of those. You know, and I'll, it, all the consequences will go away. No, God, the way God has designed this is this. He wants us to grow up and he wants us to grow. He will forgive you and, the, and he will forgive you for what you have done. And he will, he will rebuild and uh, restructure the relationship. And he will take all the stuff out between you and him when, you, when he offers you forgiveness and he gives you the gift and you accept it through repentance and through faith. But there's still consequences. See, the reason God disciplines his children is given in Hebrews 12. It says this, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness, that we may become more like him. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See, God allows us to face the consequences of our sin for our own ultimate good. If you choose to disobey, expect consequences. See, God loves his children too much to to allow them to go out and just play in the road. You wouldn't tell your children that, right? Maybe on a bad day. But you love your children too much to say, oh, just go out and do any old thing you want to. Just go out and play in the road. God loves us too much to allow that to happen. He will forgive us. He will still love us. He will still restore the relationship, but you've got to pay. Uh, discipline is the loving correction of a parent. And if you're a believer, the purpose of God's discipline is not to inflict a punishment upon you, the punishment you deserve. Guess what if God gave you and I the punishment we would deserve? If he gave us that, you know what he would do? He would send us directly to hell. Because that's what we all deserve because of our sin, because of our saying, I want to do things my way. So, what does all this mean? Let me just go back through this real quick. First of all, God's forgiveness is a gracious gift. It's a gracious gift. He offers it freely, but it cost a price. And the price was the price that his son paid. God's forgiveness is a commitment. When God forgives us, he makes a commitment that we are pardoned from our sin. And that it is no longer counted against us. God offers forgiveness to everyone, but only those who repent and have a saving faith are forgiven, who experience the, the effects of forgiveness in their life, the benefits of forgiveness. God's forgiveness lays the groundwork for and begins the process of reconciliation. When God forgives us, our relationship with Him is restored. But not all consequences are immediately eliminated. God disciplines his children as a father disciplines his children. Now, this this morning, the question is this as we close. 
The question is this, are you forgiven? That seems like a rhetorical question. I mean, yeah, sure, God gives. No, 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 no. Are you forgiven according to God? See, just because you, whoa, just because you know about it, that was a good catch. Just because you know about it doesn't mean that you have it. Because you have to open the gift. This morning, you know clearly, you and I know clearly from God's Word. I've explained it in a very brief way, in a very simple way, but you had the way to open the gift is to say to God, I am sorry for my sin. I am sorry for saying I want to do things my way. And God, I want to trust in your plan and the plan that your son paid the penalty. I want to trust in that plan for my life. And when you do that, guess what? Then you are forgiven. But until you do that, you have not experienced forgiveness. And in a matter of fact, you can't really forgive other people until you do that. You can say you do, but you can't really. You don't have the resources available to do that. We'll be talking about that more because God gives us the power. Once, he, once we understand forgiveness and experience the forgiveness of God, it opens up the door for us truly to forgive other people. Here's the most important question that any person will ever ask you. Have you received the gift of God's forgiveness by turning your sin from your, by turning from your sin and repentance to Christ and faith? Bow your heads this morning with me. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.